Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Tennis Director, Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serves in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Sapors from the Tennis Menu and I'm joined by the man from Sesame Street, the Count himself, Mr. Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics. Shane, welcome once again. I feel like every time I speak to you, I need to come up with something different and I'm going to give you a little bit of the Count's laugh, which is, ah, ah, ah. Okay, so welcome, Shane. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to give you some credit for something new this week, but I, I don't know if we'll be on the air much longer after this. But... Oh, no, we're done. We're done. And Shane, uh, thanks again. You're always pretty busy with um, all the French Open preparations. And today's based around the French Open. And we, we wanted to really take the listeners into basically into the bubble a little bit because this year is totally different uh, in France. Obviously, the situation is that they've moved the French Open from May to now, obviously, it's going to be late September and early October, which obviously in terms of weather conditions, in terms of the way everything is, it's going to be totally different. We want to go into that a little bit today in terms of how environment changes the way that we go about things as coaches, as players, as data analysts, and what we take into account when we're doing our our pre-match planning. So, you know, obviously the, the difference now is that it's obviously not the middle of summer like it probably would be if it was in May. So how does that play, I guess, affect the way this tournament's going to be played, Shane, from your perspective in terms of numbers? Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. And um, and and I know I've spoken off air with you, but, but I honestly think this year's French Open, the players are facing more changes from that environmental perspective, um, seasonal sort of perspective than uh, any any other previous um, iterations of the, the event, um, certainly in their careers. And, and, I, and I think that, uh, yeah, the conditions are going to play um, significantly different uh, than had it been played um, sort of May, June, when it was originally scheduled. I'm going to answer one of your, your other questions first in terms of, for, for me, what the impact is. Um, well, there's a huge impact in, in how... I, I use some of the historical match data. So I'm going to look more at sort of condition-based information that I've got. So if the match is scheduled to, to have been played at night or, you know, in cooler conditions, I'm going to weight that more if they're, they're playing playing in those conditions again um, this year. So there's flow-on effects as well to, to other parts. So the, the, uh, I'm sure the players and the coaches are going to talk a little bit more about the strings and, the, and, and you know, if there's any weight they need to add to the racket or anything like that, that um, to help sort of counteract some unfavourable sort of weather conditions um, to, to them. So um, there's that. And then there's uh, obviously the around scheduling and making sure your practice times are close to when the, the, the actual match will be played or is scheduled. So if you're, if you're scheduled to come out on court later in the day, um, 
where, where, where the light's fading a bit to, to make sure that you get that practice in around the same time so you're replicating the same conditions when you're playing. And uh, yeah, just going back to the, the change as well, here's a few things. So the fact that the, the event is being paid in September, October, so there's a temperature difference. So on average, it's it's around uh, it's around four degrees Celsius the 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 average um, temperature difference between the, those points in the year in Paris. Uh, rainfall it's on average three millimeters in September October, compared to to around one one point five in May June. So nearly three times more rain on average. The wind as well is a bit different. There's, um, I think there's about four kilometers per hour faster winds or wind gusts in, in, in October than there is um, in June. So um, that's that's another factor. And daylight hours. So in, in September, October, so more in the October space, it's around 7.30 p.m. When, when, when the sun comes down. If it were being played in May and June, they'd have daylight until 9.45. So again, nearly two hours there um, of less daylight that their organisers and players have to contend with this year. Yeah, and I think the big one that, that, that from that list really is the, the average rainfall. Um, you know on the clay you can play a little bit longer. Um, it, even if the, the rain comes down, they'll, they'll play play a bit. Um, there's just going to be more rain-interrupted matches, you, you would think. Um, and as a result... There's going to be some slow, heavy conditions. So not 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 a lot of topspin off the surface, but just very slow and heavy. Um, so I think that's going to favour a few few players and, and a disadvantage a few players. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I knew you were a numbers man, but I didn't realise you were a weatherman also. So that to me is really, really impressive how you can come up with average rainfalls, etc. So if you didn't realise Shane was this good, I mean, now you do. He's incredible. But you're right. The heavy conditions are going to play a massive uh, role and going to be a big factor in the way that players do go about their matches. And I think it's, it's important to understand because someone like Rafa Nadal, who has been so notorious for being unbeatable on clay, this week loses to Diogo Schwartzman. Uh, I think it's going to be important because if you think about Diogo Schwartzman, if you're playing this match in May where it's hotter, the balls are bouncing higher, and you're getting the ball above Schwartzman's head, shoulders, etc., it becomes a lot easier to beat him. But this, this match, he couldn't do that. And the balls were landing in Schwartzman's hitting zone due to the heaviness of the air and the heaviness of the court, which made it a really, really big difference in the way that they both played. Yeah, and, and, and I want to throw the, a match out there um, that Diogo played Nadal. I think it was 2018 in the fourth round at Roland Garros. And, um, and on that day as well, he, he was really in control of that match. Uh, definitely dominated the baseline rallies early in that match. And, and, and the thing that I recall was when they started play, it, it, there was moisture in the air. It was heavy. In fact, a little bit of rain had fallen. So it's a very, very slow court. The, the key thing was Nadal wasn't able to, to get any purchase off the surface for for, for, for that weapon of his at the forehand. So Diego was able to to use that backhand, both going hard at, into the Nadal forehand and, and also changing directions really well on Nadal. And yeah, it was up a set. It was up a break. I think Nadal fought back um, and when they sort of stopped play towards the end of the, the, the second set and, and they came back the very next day and it was sunshine, um, a dry, quick court. And it was, it was one-sided. Nadal just bullied him um, after that. So um, it just for me, reiterated how influenced the, the clay surface is by the elements and, um, and particularly a sunny day versus a moisture sort of uh, filled day with a slightly wet court. It's, it's a very, very different surface that you're playing on. There, I found Nadal has a career wind percentage on clay at 91.8%, I think. If you break that down into matches that are played in sunlight hours um, versus matches that uh, 
uh, end, uh, either under lights or, or uh, at night, you notice a, a big difference in, in, in the wind percentage. So Nadal's at 94.4% in sunlight hours, and he's only at 84.7. And I say only, that's incredible, the number, uh, 84.7 when the match finishes at night. So there's definitely a difference when he's playing with the, the heavier, sort of the night, slower conditions versus when he's playing uh, when it's a bit warmer and the ball's traveling a bit faster. And, and I just wanted to say there, there's, there's a couple of things. There's a misconception that Nadal loves slow courts, and, and it's only partly true. He does like a slower court in the sense that he likes to have time to get around and hit his forehand. He loves that component of it being slow and he adjusts his return position just so he has time to have a have a good swing, particularly on the forehand side, but even the backhand. He likes to have time. The slow conditions help him in that sense. Where it doesn't help him is the damage that his ball does to his opponent. So for that, he actually likes quicker courts. So in the past, you look at clay events like Hamburg where they used to play a Masters event. He didn't have the same amount of success there as he did in you know Barcelona, Rome, Monte Carlo, Roland Garros. He didn't have that success because Hamburg as uh, is, is the conditions are much slower it's the slowest clay court um, on tours so it's, it's an interesting one where he, he he probably likes a medium fast court so he has the time to get his shots right and and the court gives him enough assistance to, to hurt his opponent and it's funny like just watching that match in particular Nadal was really trying to get the ball up on on Schwartzman Schwartzman was standing really far back which was quite interesting on the first ball but then uh, it'd be interesting to note like and maybe go back one day and check out those statistics on his court position because the second ball he was able to be on the baseline or just behind it pretty quickly and I felt like generally when you play Nadal, it's very hard to do that. And obviously the conditions, uh, the, obviously the court, the air temperature, obviously being at night, slowed the game down to enable Schwartzman to be able to stand up on the court, to be able to take time and space away, as opposed to allowing Nadal to push him right off the court. And, and that's what Nadal may be going to struggle a little bit with at the French Open. Although you can never count the king, discount the king of clay. I mean, he's going to be there regardless. But at the same time, it does neutralize it just a tad. And when we talk about 10% difference between sunlight and obviously under lights it's going to be a huge difference when you're dealing with the top end of the game yeah and in terms of who it favors it it does bring someone like a, a Novak Djokovic in who who I think is the premier baseline player on tour any surface um, particularly on a, a slow surface uh, it's very hard to get through Novak if uh, the court's not giving you anything, uh, and particularly if you think of the Nadal matchup, if it's if the court's not giving topspin off the court, which kicks up and, and troubles Novak, if it's not doing that, um, Novak is by far the premier um, baseline player on tour. Again, another similar example, I think it was a 2012 uh, Roland Garros final where Nadal was playing Novak, and the conditions started off a nice, sunny, dry day. Um, and Nadal was up um, two sets very quickly, completely in control. It started drizzling and, and, and raining a little bit, and they kept playing. And uh, I think it was up a, a break in the third set, Nadal, but he suddenly lost six or seven games um, in quick succession. And he was down the third set, down a break in the fourth before play was cancelled for the day. It was just too heavy. I think they probably should have called it off a bit earlier. It was, it was getting muddy on court. But for that duration, from from midway in the third set to, to early in the fourth, complete control. They came back the next day to end this story. Nadal goes on, gets a break back, ends up winning that set quite quite comfortably in the end, really dominated play once they came back. So, yeah, again, I think the fact that this is later in the year, there's going to be more rain, it's cooler, it brings a Novak Djokovic very much into the conversation. I think the gap between the two that would have existed if they played in May is non-existent now, and it's a, it's a line ball um, as to, to who starts favourite. And I think 
uh, the days where there's sun, I'd, I'd lean towards Nadal. And if there's no sun, overcast, it, roof has to be closed. I'm leaning towards Novak winning that match. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting because the other the key factor at this year's French Open is the fact that they've changed the balls. And I know you're a big fan of the tennis balls, mate. And I know every time we go to the Kuyong Classic, you bail up every individual athlete at the end in the media conferences and you talk about the tennis balls. So can you talk to us about the change of balls and how this is going to affect this year's French Open? Maybe the, the best topic in tennis. <laughs> tennis balls, but not on now. Oh, he loves it, loves it. As I said before, the, the, the big change is the, the manufacturer and change from um, Babalat to Wilson and, and, and the change in ball size, I think, so from type two to type one, that's, it's, it's, it makes the ball heavier, quite simply. It picks up a bit more clay as well, particularly if there's moisture on the court or in the air, it's going to get even heavier and heavier. Funnily enough, I, uh, speaking to, to a couple of players that, are, that I'm working with this week, they actually gave some conflicting advice or conflicting feedback on the ball. One said it's it's more lively and bouncy, and the other said it's dead. It's a dead slow ball. So I find that fascinating as well. The mental part where players are obviously making some sort of judgment in their head, but they come up with completely different different sort of evaluations of the ball, even though they played roughly at the same time on the same day in the same conditions. They've got a completely different read on on how they think that the ball's playing has been, and it's probably typical of of the the Wilson balls in general. On, on um, used in a lot of events, they they actually um, wear slower than the other other balls. So generally, they're not as lively as some of the the other manufacturers. But yeah, they they hold uh, hold their um, form a bit bit longer. So you know, into game six and seven, it's still still hasn't worn as much as a Babalette ball, which would have been very lively early, but by game three and four, it's more worn and, and a bit flatter. So um, I think that uh, seems to be the, the, the sense that I'm getting um, um, all the way in Melbourne. So I'm, I'm, uh, I suppose I haven't really seen it at court level this year, so can't, can't get a read in that sense for, for, for me. But um, listening to some of the players and, and even some of the teams that I'm working with, it seems to be these Wilson balls are typical to normal sort of Wilson balls um, being used on the clay in the past and they um, hold their form a bit longer. Yeah, it will be very interesting. I mean, with these conditions, obviously being probably the, the environment conditions will be a bit slower and heavier than normal. The courts will be a bit more damp, maybe with a bit more rainfall. Um, the balls themselves seem to be obviously maybe holding on a little bit longer than the Babalats were, but it's obviously all in all going to be a bit slower and heavier than than previous years. So who does that favour? What kind of players does that favour both on the male and female side of the game? What can you tell us about, yeah, obviously the conditions and how, how players are going to handle it? Any player that likes time so a slow court but has the power to um, hurt an opponent so the Warinkas of this world uh, uh, even Zverev I think um, they they will like the conditions I think um, and it's going to be uh, an event for them that I think oh sorry it's going to be they're going to be names in the draw that people do not want to, to, to face because the conditions are going to going to bring players like that very much into contention Novak Djokovic um, the the other ones are you know, Dominic team he's got the power off both the, the forehand and backhand to hit through a slow court. So you you kind of uh, he's 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 the one I think both Nadal and Djokovic would be dreading when the draw draw comes out 
they'll be both. The first thing they'll look at is where Dominic's team falls because whoever has to go through and, and assuming the seeds sort of progress and you know, Dominic and whoever sort of you know, Nadal and Djokovic actually progress, but you'd, you'd favour them to get through to that semi-final. If they get there and they have to play team and then have to beat the, the other guy in the final it's, it's a it's a tough ask so and, and that's the same for Dominic I think he uh, he's had to go through Novak a couple of times got to the final had to play Rafa and, and didn't maybe have the gas to play w- with him at the level for long enough and and, and that's going to uh, be a challenge he has to face again this year he's got to go through one of them or most likely got to go through one of them uh, before playing the other yeah he's got he's got the power he's got the confidence he's done a lot of work uh, during the COVID break he, he played a lot of exhibition matches and I know exhibition matches are not reality but he played a lot of matches on the clay the hard uh, he's gone he's won his, his first Grand Slam he's got to be confident now uh, that he gets not a free crack because uh, because I think there, there is a bit of expectation that he, that he should win this but he comes in probably a bit more relaxed than he would have if uh, he didn't win the, the US Open absolutely and I think it's it, it is a matter of that isn't it like there is going to be more time to be able to do more with the ball so those players who can generate ball speed and be able to penetrate the court are going to be the ones that are obviously going to be in control a little bit more. The players that probably hit heavier or counterpunch are going to probably struggle a little bit because they don't have the ability to hurt you. You're going to need to hurt. The other factor that we've got to play into account here is if the matches are going to be longer, the rallies are going to be longer, you're going to take endurance into account too. So the players are physically in better condition uh, that maybe played a lot of matches at the US Open or have had a really good lead up on the clay courts in terms of training and practice obviously going to be really important. And Nadal did lose to Schwartzman, but at the same time, he probably hasn't played a match in how long. You know, I think it's important to take that into account as well as preparation is going to be critical, especially for slower conditions where the matches will drag out, the points will be longer. Um, It'd be interesting to see maybe midway through this tournament, if we do another one, another podcast for, for our listeners, to see the length of rallies and see if the conditions do change those and how players are adapting to the length of rally because that's going to be a big factor as well come this French Open. It's a, it's a good point and, and, and it's something I've been looking at for all events and and, uh, and I look at the clay in particular last year and there's been a noticeable surface convergence, I call it, where the, the rally lengths have actually been uh, almost uh, coming together in terms of equalness. So you, you've got the grass courts previously had very short rally lengths, having an average rally a bit higher. Um, the hard court rally lengths come down a little bit and, and the clay courts um, rally lengths also come down. So uh, ending the point there, really the um, in the last couple of years, uh, it seems like there's lower rallies, but I, I feel like this year it's going to go back up from uh, from I think it was a 4.4.2 average rally length. Uh, I think it's going to be closer to the 5, 5.5 this year. There's going to be a, a few players that are going to enjoy these conditions, the slower conditions. Dominic Team's definitely going to be one of them and he's going to be out to make amends uh, again and, and try and get this French Open, which I know a lot of people have earmarked him to win a few times already. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the course of the week with the change of environment. I think it's a very good topic that you brought to the table today, Shane. I think it's an important one that our players and our coaches understand a little bit more in depth is how the environment affects how we go about our matches. And obviously it's going to be a big change in the way that you obviously adapt your plans for the athletes you're working with also. So Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics, we thank you very much for your numbers, your time, your research, and obviously giving us the topic that is very, very, very present at the moment with the French Open right around the corner. Thanks, Mark, and uh, thanks to, to all the listeners. And, and I, uh, 
encourage you to, to, to watch Roland Garros this year. It's great to have tennis back on and I, I, um, I love clay court tennis, so jump on and watch it. Absolutely. It'll be an absolute grind. You can follow us also on the tennis menu where Shane has a great package there to be able to buy in terms of data breakdown of the latest in the game. And also we will have a French Open podcast running every single day of the French Open to give you an update about what's happening. Don't forget, you can also go to the first serve where you see the Aussies only in the huddle and the first serve weekly show podcast all available there to listen to. This episode and all of our episodes are brought to you by Data Driven Sports Analytics, the tennis menu and the first serve. So we thank you very much for listening once again to Crunching the Numbers. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.